Thank you for listening to Spiritual Teachings with Shunyamurti, recorded live at the Sat Yoga Ashram in Costa Rica. To join us for a life-changing meditation retreat, or to make a donation to support this transformational work, please visit our website, www.satyoga.org. To access more teachings or guided meditations from Shunyamurti, please visit the members section of our website or our YouTube channel, Sat Yoga Institute. Namaste. So I would like to continue the discussion that we've been having over the last few uh, meetings in which the teachings of Sri Ramana are contextualized in relation to leading postmodern thinkers and to postmodern conditions so that the relevance and the implications of Ramana's teachings, not only on a personal level, but on a political level and on a, uh, a level in which metaphysics and physics are integrated as one, can be demonstrated and used pragmatically for our own liberation. There was a time, not that long ago, when a philosopher like Leibniz, a very intelligent man in the 1600s, could claim with a straight face that this is the best of all possible worlds. It's very unlikely that almost anyone today believes that, or could believe that. Even though I think that from the the non-duality perspective that is the ultimate truth of our reality, it's still a fact, but it's not one that is visible or useful for anyone that's in an ego state. In fact, I would say it's even counterproductive because it will be, uh, it will be misunderstood and, uh, and, and will tend to lead to a hopelessness. If this is the best of all possible worlds, then what are we going to do? We can't possibly uh, make it any better, and it sucks, and therefore one will go into massive depression. <clears throat> There's a famous old uh, Zen text. I found a quote from it here that has this uh, a statement in it which uh, again, it has the same sort of uh, a paradoxical, um, counterproductive effect, I think, today. And here's the quote. The perfect way knows no difficulties, except that it refuses to show preferences. To set up what you like against what you dislike, this is the disease of the mind. Well, I think uh, using contemporary logic, we could say that uh, the refusal to have a preference is in fact having a preference for having no preference. And so it's not really in a state of no preference, but what that does mean for, from the level of ego consciousness is no will, no initiative no uh, desire to change things for the better 
or for uh, one's uh, possible liberation from difficulties that are uh, pragmatically present in the environment. And so I think if we're going to find a, uh, a useful form of spirituality today that is relevant to most people in the world and to ourselves in our deeper introspections regarding the nature of the, the real battles that we are fighting, I think that the, uh, the philosophy of Gilles Deleuze is extremely useful as a starting point. And uh, the reason that I, uh, I feel that and why his concept of chaosmos is an important one, obviously a, an, a uh, conglomeration of chaos and cosmos, which are opposites, but here we are living in a situation in which a cosmos that seems to be orderly, that supposedly is the product of a super intelligence that will have designed it uh, in, in a way in which everything uh, flows perfectly, systemically, and, uh, and all in an in, in order that uh, produces the... Uh, the maximum flourishing of life and happiness, well, that does not seem to be what's happening in the world today. <clears throat> and so in order to understand that, we would have to say that the world is now uh, functioning at, the, at least the edge of chaos, if not totally in chaos. The order that had been governing uh, planetary uh, ecology and uh, climate and uh, the natural order, the political order, the financial order, the psychological order of, uh, of, of nature and human nature as a single whole is no longer functioning. Uh, the world is aberrant. Everyone seems to be a walking aberration. Every system is, uh, is function, is dysfunctioning. Its aberrations are overriding its capacity to maintain any uh, order. And so uh, it, it seems that the world is out of control. And that's not only true of the outer world, that's true of our psychological reality as well. And so we are in a situation in which we have to deal with chaos and try to find the logic of that chaos in order to be able to guide it into a state of order. How do you make sense out of what seems to be a senseless world, a meaningless world, in fact, a, a sadistic world that seems to have been created by the devil rather than a good lord. And so it's a, a world in which uh, cynicism and uh, fight or flight and irrationality reigns and should uh, and requires 
uh, almost to most people a mirror response. And because a person, every person pretty much, is born into a dysfunctional system, that system that was external becomes internalized for everyone so that it's very difficult to distinguish whether one is fighting an outer system or one's projection of what had been outer that had been that then internalized that is now reprojected on even uh, even though it may be a different situation nonetheless uh, retains those same qualities and uh, the difference is, is not great enough to enable one to discern if one is still in the midst of a projection or if one is accurately perceiving the situation and therefore one has doubts about how one should respond, how one has responded in the past and uh, a latent sense of fear that one has committed uh, errors, crimes, sins, uh, situations of, uh, that have made things worse than they were. So the first thing that people must come to terms with is that we have been born into an oppressive system. And like most oppressive system, systems, the, uh, the beings who run the system are intent on convincing you that it's not an oppressive system. That in fact it's the best of all possible worlds. We're the best of all possible families. How lucky you are to have been born in this dysfunctional family. Could have been worse. And so to come to terms with the reality of oppression requires one to have preferences. It requires one to make choices. Do you collapse into that system? Do you just sell out and compromise and say, okay, this is the hand I'm dealt and I'll just uh, uh, follow orders? Do you uh, fly uh, into some uh, autistic withdrawal? Do you, do you go psychotic? Do you uh, simply become unmanageable? Do you get attention deficit disorder so you can't adapt to the system and hold a job and you know, do all of those things? Do you find a way out that's a passive aggressive uh, refusal uh, to, uh, to function in the dysfunctional system, but at your own expense? Or do you find some way to rebel to, to join or create a revolution that could enable you to not only escape from the oppressive system, but perhaps at some point overturn that oppressive system, but at least to be liberated from it. 
Now, once we understand that the oppressive system is internal as well as external, and in fact, there really is no uh, true distinction between external and internal, because the world, in a way, uh, is our mind. It's not that we have a mind that reproduces the world in some you know, place within the brain and doesn't see the actual world. We're living in the world, but the world is our consciousness. So there is no separation from it. So that oppressive system indeed is uh, uh, connected to ourselves. So how do you disconnect from a system that is your own consciousness? And, and this creates a, uh, a difficulty that most egos are not able to overcome. And so they fall into accepting the projections of the system uh, and, and their dissidence, their disapproval, their disaffection from the system, uh, they take on as their own lack their own fault, their own flaws, their own inability to heal the other, or whatever. But we are born into a situation in which we face opposition from the very beginning. The very first relationship in the oppressive system is that with the mother, but it's the mother as other, as representative of the big other. And her mothering in terms of unconditional love, for the most part, is either not there, or it, it, uh, it leaves pretty quickly and becomes very conditional upon one's accepting the rules of the game or even the rulelessness of the game, the chaos in the system. <clears throat> and then most people who, in a, a typical family system today, the only alternative that they have is usually what I'll call an unfather, <laughs> someone who has lost the capacity to father someone, to protect, to guide, to guard, to raise, to teach, to encourage, to, uh, to role model, to inspire, to offer ideals and potentialities for improvement of the system and for uh, representing uh, the, uh, the truth uh, that must uh, speak to power of its uh, failure to provide justice or fairness or uh, meaningfulness to the members of that social system. And so everyone who uh, grows up to adulthood today has usually internalized a very alienating mothering superego, maternal superego, 
and a very obscene or anal unfather figure as a, uh, a, a paternal superego that may actually be a very dictatorial or even psychotic attacking figure or rejecting figure or castrating figure but very uh, seldom does one have internalized figures that encourage one's growth and empowerment and development. And so, and, and it's difficult to find such assistance in the external world, even after one leaves the family system because of the corruption in the religious orders and in the various other... Uh, uh, types of uh, organizations that are supposed to help to raise uh, adolescence into adulthood with moral guidance, etc. So we find a, a failure of the system to offer any uh, lessening of the oppression that the that one's life started out. Uh, in under the, the cloud of uh, an alienation from one's very uh, sources of life, which then bring about uh, a distinct difficulty in creating a positive self-image or feeling any self-esteem and therefore uh, having any... Uh, ability to, to develop uh, capacities that one has no sense even exist in latent form within one, because none of that was ever seen by anyone else. And so the, the sense of being not only lost, but of being helpless and hopeless in a world in which one uh, cannot grow up because there's no such thing as a grown-up and one can only escape at the cost of rebelling and losing one's uh, ability to adapt and uh, relate to others. And so it's a very frightening situation that most people face when they enter adulthood and, uh, and have to make a decision about what kind of life do I want to lead? Will I just settle for being part of a meaningless system and get a job in which I can, you know, pay the rent maybe eventually and, uh, and live an ordinary life? And maybe uh, uh, if I have enough alcohol or drugs or other ways of deadening my pain, I'll, I'll get through it, but maybe not. And most people don't get through it today. That's the truth. Most people are destroyed by the system. And the ones who rebel against the system are usually destroyed more uh, graphically, more dramatically, more uh, um, publicly, because uh, the system wants to make uh, examples of those who dare to defy the system in any way that might have an effect on the system or inspire others. And so the, uh, the difficulty of an ego trying to escape a dysfunctional world 
and even to escape its own egoic programming becomes almost an impossibility. So Deleuze was intent on providing a logic to help enable people to do that, which is why I find his, uh, his writing to be not only useful, but I think in the tradition of, of, uh, of inspiration and of, uh, of spiritual development. Oh, this one is going to be tough. Do we have any other? Uh, do you want me to erase it? Maybe that would be useful. All of it? Yeah. Just you can erase it all. So the uh, the way that uh, Deleuze approached this was was to analyze the kinds of aberrations that the system was. Uh, making, and to try to stay a step ahead of it so that one could, uh, could gain a map of the world that one was dealing with and be able to outplay the, uh, the logic that would keep one uh, oppressed and enslaved. So I think that the, the individual who consciously wants to escape from the oppression that's both internal and external needs to answer three questions. The first one is juridical in a way. By what right can I escape? Do I have the right to leave behind the family system? Do I have the right to change my life? Do I have the right to kill an identity that was put into me as an operating system that would cause me to have the delusion that I'm related to these other egos and that I owe them something and that I should uh, follow the orders of this meaningless capitalist system without complaint? By what right do I complain? By what right do I challenge? By what right do I secede from the system and, and enter into my own independent territory? By what right and then, of course, with what strength do I have the strength to make the decision to leave behind the system, to go it on my own? Do I have the strength to hold out uh, when the, the system's temptations and jouissances are no longer being offered? Or will I collapse back into wanting a more comfortable life at the cost of, of my own uh, truthfulness to my own spirit? Uh, do I have the strength to, uh, to deal with the consequences that I may have to face by leaving behind uh, an oppressive system that is globalized, planetary, 
in which the meaning of my rebellion will not be understood or supported? Do I have the strength to survive in complete isolation and alienation from uh, a world that will not uh, give uh, its, uh, its approval and recognition of the right to that freedom that will bring one into uh, a, uh, an abandonment of a dying and meaningless world in order to bring new life, new love, new power, new, new truths, new creativity into the world. But can I do that? And what skill will be needed in order to be able to, uh, to pull it off? And do I have those skills or am I kidding myself? Am I trying to do this prematurely? There's, there's a timing issue when one wants to produce a revolution. You, you'd better have your abilities all developed enough to be able to manage the backlash of the uh, effect of one's uh, rebelling against the system and the, um, the vacuum that one will have to face of loneliness and of inability to communicate uh, who one is or to be able to make connections until one finds at least enough other rebels with the same cause or causelessness that there can be a, uh, a sense that, there, that another world is possible. So I think that the, uh, these questions trouble most people who aren't able to either find the answer, do I have the right uh, to separate, and do I have the strength to do it, and uh, do I have the skill to be able to lead a life without compromise or collapse, or, uh, or fall into some kind of uh, addictive requirement of support that uh, oppresses and enslaves even more than the original system did so that one is not really any better off. One has changed masters but one is still a slave. So this is uh, what I think is, uh, is the situation that most people are dealing with in their minds and their hearts. And, uh, and people are looking desperately for an alternative lifestyle and way of living. Uh, but to make a commitment to that requires tremendous inner strength and uh, being, uh, having the ability to talk back to superego voices that would attack one and belittle one and uh, uh, delegitimize one's sense of having a right to a better life, a higher level of existence in uh, a, a vibrational field of consciousness beyond the ego, or at least in, in a state in which one is able to discern uh, the difference between coercion and, and love and uh, 
and the raising of consciousness versus the putting down of the desire for growth and development of consciousness. So in order to do this, one needs a ground. One needs a ground to stand on that isn't the ground of the system. One, one has to have a, uh, a place, a reality, a, uh, a way of understanding what is happening that is consistent, that can answer the questions that come up on a constant basis and enable the ongoing development of one's revolutionary project. Without that kind of conscious understanding of what one is doing in one's life, and, and with a larger strategic uh, recognition of what is going to be required 10 steps ahead in this chess game, and an understanding of what skills, what strengths, what uh, rules, what principles, etc., uh, are going to be required. What allies, and uh, and what situations, and what conditions, one has to be able to think all of that out in a very intelligent way, if one's going to escape. You won't escape just by trying to jump into chakra seven. And I have no preferences, and you know I'm. Uh, I'm, I'm living in the emptiness. That won't be the real emptiness. One has to, uh, first of all, create one's own ground of power that functions in the world in order to then be able to transcend the ground, all right? If you want to get off the ground, first you have to have the ground. But who has a, a strong, consistent ground these days? And uh, doesn't one ultimately have to be comfortable with groundlessness as one's ground? And it's this that one is going to have to deal with, the oscillation between ground and groundlessness. And these two will have to be integrated into a ground that is both solid and empty at the same time so that your own consciousness literally will be able to walk on water or on mid-air and to, to not fall, to not collapse. And that requires an, an independence from the thoughts and projections of other beings. <clears throat> so if one has the ground, then one will develop, uh, or one has the ability then to develop the vertical dimension. And uh, Deleuze calls that the transcendental principle. I think it's fine. Uh, this is, this is, once you know who you are, what you want, what your reality is, 
and you have proven to yourself that you can live in an imminent plane of consistency without, uh, uh, without your understanding suddenly uh, exploding in chaos, but that you can manage logically to deal with whatever situations arise in your space. You will have then the courage and the strength to be able to move forward into the unknown. But once you have created a kind of territory for yourself, in which now you're able to develop uh, lines of flight and, and of alliances and uh, agreements and networks of, of strength and of uh, complementarity, then what you need to have is a principle that enables you to, uh, to offer a consistent order to others. There has to be a capacity for power sharing, for the distribution of territories, for the recognition of the rights of the other, for creating a non-oppressive oasis of a revolutionary system that does not duplicate the oppressive tendencies that had been imposed upon you. So in order to do that, you have to be free of any of the traces of that oppressive superego voice that will then want to oppress the other, even though it's not your conscious intention to do so. But those tendencies have to have been eliminated and the tendencies of fear of being oppressed. So there has to be a way of, of creating an order that is modular and molecular and that can invite others to join and that is able to grow in an organic and super organismic way that gives everyone an ability who wants to be part of a different system, a revolutionary system, to share the same transcendental principle, which may be that of a sophiocracy, it may be that of, the, uh, of a chain of command based on wisdom and compassion and love and intelligence in the service of the whole, that, that kind of, a, uh, of an outlook that will require the development of certain skills by the members of whatever revolutionary commune begins to develop uh, to be able to function, uh, let's say, uh, uh, intersystemically and uh, in, and a level of interbeing, to use Thich Nhat Hanh's uh, phrase, so that there is a um, an ability for independence and interdependence, and uh, and all <clears throat> subservient, let's say, to a principle of non-duality, of unity, of consciousness that transcends uh, differences, but, but that respects the differences and the uniqueness of each being and their skills and their powers and their, uh, their weaknesses, their needs to grow and their needs for structure and uh, of guidance and development. And one has to have both the patience and the curriculum and the, uh, the, the methodology 
to be able to bring everyone up to speed if you're going to produce uh, you know, a, a commune of Robin Hood and his merry men or whatever other you know, form. And so then you're going to have to have the the empirical principle in place. So, in other words, everything that we have gained so far in our attempt to produce a revolutionary situation uh, is based on philosophy and on uh, psychology. We have to have a, a, a consistent ground. We have to have purified our own consciousness of its own oppressive tendencies or its masochistic tendencies, or uh, its blind spots, its, uh, its lack of, uh, of self-honoring, its lack of uh, capacity to overcome the lower death drive and the lower three chakras that, that want narcissistic power and jouissance and security that are not available in a revolutionary situation. Uh, so what we need is the empirical skill to deal with day-to-day, moment-to-moment challenges and decisions that have to be made. This is very different from uh, the, the, the philosophical peace of mind and, uh, and capacity to think strategically. This is about thinking tactically. And tactics and strategy are two different skill sets and levels of thinking that are required. And in order to be able to pull that off, one is going to have to have a, a great insight into how other people are responding to one. There will have to be a very uh, accurate way of reading other people's responses, their body language, their vibrational uh, reactivities to what is being proposed or what is happening, and an ability to very sensitively respond verbally and non-verbally in order to maintain a balance of uh, direction and of, let's say, the negotiation of the development of a situation that cannot be fully controlled nor should one attempt to control, but to allow the blossoming of that which is healthy within the situation and the pruning of that which is unhealthy or the elimination of that. But that requires tremendous discernment and, uh, and skill of, uh, of leadership and of, uh, of, of the ability to uh, cooperate, harmonize, accommodate, uh, manage uh, situations of pressure and conflict in ways that uh, there can be a mediation of those uh, dissonances that are leftovers from the oppressive system that everyone uh, has traces of in their consciousness. 
And so if all of these uh, skill sets and developments of power and righteousness, and I don't mean self-righteousness, but, but real righteousness that uh, brings the, the power of the source through one as uh, an instrument who has the ability to ground uh, a... Uh, a group, a community, a, a, a revolutionary development, and has the ability to, uh, to share and uh, encourage the blossoming and the development of other power centers so that there can be an independent continuation and replication and, uh, and even an, an improvement and upgrading in the way that the, uh, the revolutionary situation uh, takes off uh, using all of the, uh, the information and the energy that had been developed in the past in order to keep building upon it and developing rather than rigidly imitating uh, and becoming a traditional devotee or a follower of, of some some sort, whether it's of Karl Marx or Mao or, uh, or Ramana or anyone else. It has to be uh, a, a complete new dispensation of truthfulness that comes from the source. And that has to be uh, through a, a self-authorization that comes through a uh, complete... Uh, elimination of the egoic uh, identifications that uh, that create a a positionality an egocentricity and a um, an impossibility of uh, an absolute uh, recognition of the perfection of the whole that is being born uh, as a new world, as a new order, as a new uh, manifestation of being without, without any particular use of the mind to try to control or determine uh, the future of that a newly born uh, system or divine order in, a, in an optimal case. And this is where I think uh, Deleuze can't pull that off because he is uh, staying with the individual mind that is identified with the body form. And that's why I think without adding Nishida's uh, chiasm. You know what a chiasm is? A chiasma. There, there, there is a, uh, a, a chiasmic uh, 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 nerve. Uh, each eye has the. Each eye is going to the opposite hemisphere of the brain. You know, and it's and these the two hemispheres are in, are not uh, perceiving reality in the way that it. It is, uh, supposedly, but in, a, um, in an inverted form, but that gives a more uh, uh, whole uh, vision when it is uh, recoded in accord with a, a different understanding of space 
that the unification of the two hemispheres allow. So what's, what Nishida is adding to the mix here is uh, almost a Hegelian dialectic. One has to be the revolutionary figure in the world in this historical situation and not be uh, in avoidance of all of the implications of that. At the same time, one has to negate that identity and be in the absolute nothingness. And so you could say it's uh, your, your position as an ego is here, uh, and, uh, and then you realize that you are the absolute nothingness here, and this allows you to shift a, a position, and uh, because the nothingness is not only the negation of this position, we could say it's thesis, and here's the antithesis, but there's a synthesis in which you are, you are the, uh, the absolute nothingness of the entirety of reality, and therefore you can, you can show up here uh, as, as a being rather than here. And so you're able to, uh, to make crossovers in which uh, one can unexpectedly show up in places that were indeterminate and unpredictable. One can move in the world because one is not committed to any particular identity in the world. One shows up in the way that is needed in order to bring more love, more peace, more power to a situation, but in which one is not a person with one's own needs and therefore not connected to a situation in a way that, uh, that keeps one tied to, uh, to particular uh, conditions. So it's that ability to move into the nothingness and not only at a personal level, but at a transpersonal level, so that one's, uh, one's intelligence and one's uh, presence is able to be uh, used in the service of that supreme intelligence without any kind of, uh, of, uh, of a loss of power or clarity or freedom because there is no individual who is, uh, who is at the helm, but, but the self itself is, is working without uh, interference. And so if one is in that state, then whatever had been predetermined by that intelligence will find itself being enacted in the situation and there won't be any uh, inaccuracy. And that supreme intelligence will be able to be put into uh, a focused uh, use of the power that comes from the free will of one's intelligence being surrendered fully to being instrumentalized by the source. And that in turn, I would say, Nishida's concept can only be uh, operationalized 
if one has reached the level that Ramana has talked about, which is the realization that uh, one's ego never existed and the world doesn't even exist except as a dream, and that as the dreamer of that dream, there are no limitations on what is possible. But that level of no limitation is based on the absolute emptying out of all mental constructs, all concepts. So all of that, all that you needed to get there has to be surrendered, has to be sacrificed. You cannot keep that intelligence that you use to escape the oppressive system any longer once you're in a revolutionary system. And you can't even keep the chiasm of a, uh, a sense of being both in the world and beyond it. There is no world, there is no one beyond it. It's that absolute uh, place of uncreated presence that has the power then to bring a new creation into manifestation. And that's why I think these are the, the three important revolutionary figures who are providing uh, a methodology that will enable survival of the death of Kali Yuga and, uh, and the ability to deal with the transitional phase that we're all going to have to go through and the bringing about of a new world, a new world order, but also a new world from that place of the supreme real that is worldless and eternally formless, but which is made of the luminous stuff that we think is the world, but is actually that etheric consciousness that is superimposed by a grid of meanings that have reduced our ability to perceive what is through the vessel of the egoic mind and once freed from that is able to uh, redream the form in which Brahman, the luminous intelligence in its impersonal dimension of the phenomenal cosmos in its most beautiful form. Okay, that's basically what I had to say for you. So the floor is open. I hope some of that has been useful to people. Thank you. Um, I love this idea of the revolution. I've heard you speak like this for a while. <laughs> I'm wondering, is there, well, I have lots of different questions, but the first one that's coming to mind is about, uh, is this why the political revolutions are always doomed to fail because they, they, they don't have that mm -hmm. perspective. And then my other question is, is there something unique about Latin America in the last you know, 50 or 100 years that has been pretty revolutionary? Mm -hmm. has yeah. Of revolutions mm -hmm. in it. Yes. This, this has been the place that's been attempting to escape 
from the empire and is still facing that, but in which it's very much alive, the, the necessity uh, for uh, dealing with a, a revolutionary and a counter-revolutionary situation and keeping the faith alive and uh, making it something that is not limited to a national context, but one which is global and uh, I would even say now cosmic, interplanetary, interdimensional. There have to be no limits. But I do think this is the ground in which this kind of a struggle is understood and is being engaged in so that it will be recognizable to those who are seeking uh, more of a frame of reference of, of revolution, although it's a peaceful celestial revolution, not uh, one that would uh, advocate or allow violence. In fact, that's the, the whole point of the revolution, to end violence. But it also requires that strength to, uh, to stand alone and to die for that which is one's, uh, one's real cause, which is uh, the deathless self. And if one isn't already in that space, one is not yet a true revolutionary. Is revolution another, or is awakening another word for revolution? I think it's the beginning of it. I think it's the recognition that a revolution is necessary. But you have to get to the illumination of what is the power that is able to rebel and redream and reconfigure reality. And what dharma would be used? What, what's the model? What's the structure? What's the... Uh, what gives the legitimacy of authority to the revolutionaries? So all of that has to be in place. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a topic that fascinates me because this, you know, my ego is a rebel. No? Oh yes. <laughs> but that oppositional thing, like I see in all the revolutions in Latin America and Russia and everything, they turn out like the oppressor. That's right. Inevitably, like all yeah. the communism, or right. like they end up doing exactly the same they were fighting for, yeah. against. So I'm like, why? Because they had a good intention, and that's, right. that's the supposed intention of the rebel is for something good. But by just opposing, it doesn't make sense. But this transcendental principle you think you talk, but so that it's grounded in something else that doesn't mimic the oppressor eventually. Mm -hmm. It's incredible, and uh, yeah, I think it's, it's a, you gave the perfect recipe for a true, but I was thinking non-revolution is another round in a way, in mm -hmm. Spanish revolution means mm -hmm. to revolve again and again, so I was thinking it's more revelation, or mm -hmm. something re uh -huh. revelation is re reduced. Yeah. I think it is both though, I think it, it, it is a revelation, that will end this cycle and begin a new revolution of time, a new cycle of time that will begin at a new beginning, at a higher state of consciousness than is imaginable to the world as it is today. But, but I do think everything that appears in time goes through cycles, and so we're not, not uh, able to transcend that except through the liberation from all worlds, which is the final state. Yeah, and I think in the world there's this need for re revolution because this oppressive system, even though like it's failing in convincing people that this is not oppressive. Mm -hmm. You know, the banks are 
are literally keeping people slaves. Like mm -hmm. there's, it's so evident that it's scary that people don't notice it, but they do notice, and many other ways. Mm -hmm. So I think, I don't know. I'm thinking this teaching will resonate with a lot of these people. That is, and you don't know what to do. Like I, I can relate. Before here is like, there's something really wrong. What, what can we do? Well, you, you turn into an ecologist for a while. You Mm -hmm. Don't pay your debts. You, I mean, there's mm -hmm. a, but when you hear something that makes sense at another level, like it, it's so amazing, and that's the freedom. Mm -hmm. And I think this this teaching is is a is so it's a master teaching. All mm -hmm. your teachings, but this one really is empirical, <laughs> like <laughs> empirical. So it has all the the elements of that, like the ground, like that's mm -hmm. also. So many people that want to be a revolutionary, they they don't even have their own gardens. This is very empirical, but mm -hmm. they don't leave what they're trying to read, mm -hmm. to teach. Mm -hmm. and I speak even here. I was doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. Raw soil, and I was buying it. So meaning, it's a it's it's incredible. So I'm very thankful. I didn't understand very well the. Uh, Chiasma mm -hmm. part, but uh, I don't know. And those three questions too are also endless. Like, because if you don't feel you have the right, you stay in the system, and mm -hmm. that's what I see. Like, why, why me? Mm -hmm. And but who gives that right? Is it, is it just yourself, or who? Why does one feel yes, I can do this? Where does that come from? Mm -hmm. Well, I think that depends on the level of development of the soul. And for some, like Ramana, it came within. It was a, a direct possession by the source of all right, of all power, and, uh, and, and a complete uh, dissolving into that. For others, it will be a more a, a, a realization of the truth expressed within the phenomenal plane by those who are uh, manifesting and living in accord with the higher laws and powers. And so uh, there will be different levels in which people connect to that which is recognized as being legitimate and uh, as being uh, the, the cause that they can give themselves to. And, and feel like their lives are being fulfilled because they are able uh, to actualize their highest hope for freedom and, uh, and for goodness and, and, and to live in a state of love that is shared among all of the revolutionaries and all of the beings who are intended to be freed by the revolution, which is everyone. So I think it will come at different levels uh, depending on the maturation of each being. Mm -hmm. I also had a question about the self-authorization and because I feel stuck at that first level of by what right, mm -hmm. specifically the voices that either um, internally or even externally say, you'll always be our son or you'll always be your parents, mm -hmm. etc. And that feeling of um, being trapped or not having a, a response to that. So I was wondering if you could just maybe talk a little bit about like in a healthy culture or society, what would the, the relationship of the biological 
parents be mm -hmm. to their offspring um, like after the, I guess the Oedipus is resolved and the, the father has pointed the son towards the, the true father, what, what relationship did they have then after that, you know, the, the adulthood or the rite of passage um, that, that the children embarked on to become a true adult? Was there, you know, what is that relationship? How should it be? Well, I, you see, I think it has to be based on the absolute freedom of the, uh, the child who becomes an adult to take a completely different course of life than the one presented and, and suggested and hoped by the parents. There has to, to be the freedom for an absolute cut. I think this is the message of the life of the Buddha, right? Shakyamuni, he's a prince. He's supposed to become the king of the kingdom and apparently it's, it's a not corrupt kingdom. It's, it would be a very nice position. He could help the world, he could, all of these good things. And here the guy is married and has a kid, and uh, in, in that situation he does what is clearly most immoral possible decision that he could make. He abandons the kingdom, abandons his wife, abandons his child, and he goes off into the woods, uh, you know, for this totally selfish, you know, uh, desire to find enlightenment for himself. So, uh, you know, and yet uh, it's that act of breaking away from a situation that he could perceive, although it wasn't yet clinically corrupt, it was being corrupted, and by taking that position as king, he would not be able to stop the fall. So the only way he could begin to, to help would be to bring a renewal of, of the, the truth from a higher order of reality than the phenomenal plane. And so he had to, to face the fact that everyone would hate him for it, would never forgive him, and they didn't. You know, the wife and the kid, uh, they, they didn't ever uh, really reconcile. It was a, a situation where he lost everything, he lost the respect of everyone, and, and he was totally alone in, in a situation where he did not know what he was doing. And in which the, the guides and the gurus that he went and hoped would be able to help him find his way to liberation, they failed him. And, and then he had to, to go off completely on his own without any structure or guidance, without any uh, hope that the Vedas or the wisdom of the Shastras or any of the texts or any beings would be of any avail. And in that total aloneness and with an absolute destitute uh, situation without, uh, without any wisdom to guide him, he had to find it from the zero point. And that's the truth of how a renewal has to happen. It can't be dependent upon tradition or, or wisdom of any book. You know, if you're going to depend on the Bible or the Dhammapada or, uh, or, or the Upanishads, as the basis for creating something new, it's not going to work. So it has to come direct from the source, and that, that means the ego has to die uh, in, the, uh, in the act of gaining it. Without that sacrifice, it doesn't happen. So therefore, it's, uh, it's very rare and precious because it's the, the ultimate price one has to be willing to pay. And you have to be willing to kill not only the superego voices, but the ego itself. 
that will then kill all the voices and all the beings that supposedly you belong to and have to be loyal to and all of that. But if there's no you, there's nothing for those voices to glom onto. And so you can dissolve them all and then know what inner silence really is. And in that silence alone, the intelligence of the real becomes your own mind. But it's a mind that is egoless, formless, and, uh, and worldless. Uh, without, without reaching that level, the, uh, the truth is not acquired. Nor the power to carry it through and nor the, uh, the, uh, uh, the bliss that is transmitted that is actually what inspires others to want to join such a cause, right? If there's no bliss at the end of the road, then what's, what's the point of the revolution? Right. You spoke about inner and outer systems, and I didn't really fully understand the difference. If everything is a projection, what is the difference between inner and outer systems? Yeah, well, there really is none, except that at the ego level, the ego is projecting the past onto the present. So it, there's a way to discern that you are projecting. Uh, and, and in a way, that's what the sessions here help you to do. They, they help you to see the glitch, that there's a gap, because your projection is not accurate. The person that you're projecting on is not actually the way they're not quite as bad as you think they are, or quite as much like your mother, as, right? or any of that. There's a, a superimposition of a, a past image onto the present that makes you unable to respond to what is really happening now. And you don't have the freedom to respond differently because you are coming from a place of a more primitive psychic development in which you are reactive to what you feel is an attack, let's say, from an external other. Once you recognize that that's a projection and withdraw it, then you can relate to the other with more freedom and compassion and love and openness and all of that. But it's still the case that your world is a mental projection, but not from the level of the personal ego, but of the archetypal ego. That's what has produced your world and the particular karma that you have to go through, the particular challenges, the particular type of oppression that you had to deal with that will enable you to grow to that level of a complete uh, self-realization that you have uh, intended and which is the real reason you have come into this life. So you needed to have all of those oppressive situations in order to be able to sustain your own revolutionary drive toward uh, victory over Maya. Okay? But it is a, a recognition that the world is your mind. It's not different from your mind. But not the, not the personal mind, the archetypal mind. And that mind, in turn, is derivative of the supreme mind that contains it, but is not actually of this world, and can dissolve this world completely without it being affected. And it's that level we have to get to if we're going to have the power to do what we need to do and, uh, and be fearless in the face of total destruction. Thank you, Shunya. Uh, two questions about this. One was uh, on this diagram here, mm -hmm. the 
circle that didn't have anything. Yeah. Okay. That's the nothingness. That's the real zero point. I would say this. I I, I mislabel this. I would call this uh, self-negation. So if you're in a situation as an ego and you're being projected on or you're finding uh, resistances and difficulties and uh, uh, forces that are still oppressive, you have to uh, negate your own ego. You have to go to a point of saying, okay, why, is, why am I creating that in, the, in my world? Uh, what does it represent within my own uh, being? What are the resistances uh, that I have to myself? What are the ways in which I don't accept myself fully? And by negating all of that, uh, that, that was your ego identity, you are then able to also let go of the karma that, that keeps you uh, manifesting as that ego. And then you shift into a zero point that is not just the negation of the individual life, but is the total uh, negation of the phenomenal plane. And from that absolute zero point, you now create a new being that is no longer tied to that karma. It's a karma-free, unconditional, creative intelligence that now manifests a new life, a new strategy, new tactics, new approach, and, uh, and that uh, is the, uh, the power that can win the revolution. This one can't, and that isn't strong enough, and this is unmanifest, so you have to get to this whole chiasm and, uh, and integrate it. Is that the avatar? The ultimate, the ultimate being would be an avatar, yes. You got it. And uh, another question is, I think like the key to this is, is keeping that uh, revolutionary sentiment lit, alive, mm, fully yeah. uh, driving one. Yes. Uh, how does one do that and not get usurped by uh, all of the panoply of diversions and good question that's where the second question what strength do I have the strength to, to carry this through and not be diverted and weakened by temptations and all of that so yes one one has to call upon the strength of the absolute prior to having reached that avatarhood but but surrendered sufficiently to be an instrument of that power and of its intelligence and of the bliss. Once you're getting enough bliss from the source, the jouissance offered by the system won't tempt you anymore. But you have to get enough of the power and the, uh, the joy that uh, you, there won't be a sense of lack that somebody will try to fill by giving you something else that will weaken you more and make you more dependent on the other. So uh, I, I think it requires that, uh, that level of the realization that your being is not the bodily uh, manifestation and that uh, therefore you have the, uh, uh, the luxury of being able to let go of whatever enjoyments that uh, you, know, you had uh, used to regulate your life 
and, uh, and to, to enter into a kind of asceticism that, uh, that can give up whatever has to be given up in order to receive the power. And ultimately, it's the ego itself that has to be given up. But that can be done gradually, step by step, or it can be done all at once. But it's, uh, it's the willingness to do that that will be fueled by the, the shakti, the, the sense of grace, the inspiration that's received from the source, and, uh, and the love that one will feel from the source. One will actually feel God's love supporting that, that drive to transcend the ego and transmit that power to others. Mm -hmm. Following on from Parisha's question, it's about escape. Mm -hmm. It feels like he's got a lot tonight, and there's a feeling that it, the soul is yearning to escape the system, absolutely, and we've talked about, but also there's the ego's just desire to escape. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So everybody, like all the internal objects, want to right. escape. How does one discern? Like, well, that's the battle that you're in. Because there are other forms of escape that are unhealthy and, uh, and, and that will, uh, you know, destroy your power. And, and some of them are irreversible, right? Some people choose psychosis and then there's no way back, you know. You threw away the key of, of sanity and it's gone. And so uh, people uh, can make choices that require them to come back for another lifetime and try again. Uh, therefore, uh, there has to be a sufficient amount of wisdom and prudence to be able to follow a path um, that is rational and, uh, and, and, and developmental so that your inherent capacities of discernment and willpower and, uh, and uh, let's say, an integral understanding grow in accord with uh, the, uh, the development of the revolutionary project itself. And, and uh, if you're not ready for it, if there's still too much uh, addiction to jouissance, you're not going to be able to make it. And, uh, and that's what destroys most revolutions. And that's why the system is prone to corruption. Now, what is corruption except that, right? We can bribe someone or some other way, uh, destroy them with uh, temptations that they can't uh, resist. So this, uh, this capacity uh, for uh, remaining uh, totally engaged with the, uh, the bliss and the power of the source is, is the only safety that one has in dealing with, with that lower level of manipulation by the demonic tendencies. Mm -hmm. Can I ask a question about that? It's, it has to do with that and then the, um, by what right. First of all, thank you for incredibly mind-blowing teaching. And I think conservative, I think the Buddha said a lot of, a lot of people mm -hmm. I hope in so. this room and, and uh, as we know, and the growing communities around, around us. So, um, But I had a question about that. If, if one is, let's say, fed up with uh, all of the misery that the ego causes and that that's the feeling of oppression, it's just, again, following the fantasies and projections and the kind of karma it creates. But the connection with God and a higher source of intelligence isn't feeling lit all the time. 
can the and the by what right that authorship? It's like a it's like a glimmer. I know it's there, but it doesn't feel fully accepted and taken in. Can an approach of like neti neti in a way work? Like I, I'm fed up. I know I'm not this. I, I can't buy into these these voices. Will that authorship emerge? Will that naturally be the outcome? It will if you're consistent in your struggle, and it has to be continuous, and it has to be uh, assisted by a life of service on the external plane, even when you're not feeling in the mood or whatever. There is a, a, a professional trooper, uh, the show must go on attitude of, uh, of whether I'm feeling like it or not, I'm gonna smile, I'm gonna be helpful, I'm gonna cooperate. I'm, I'm gonna show up and, and, uh, and serve. And that gradually creates that performativity paradox that brings it into full manifestation. So uh, the development requires that, plus I think intensive study on an ongoing way so that there's more clarity and discernment and ability to fight back against the voices and outthink uh, out, out them. Uh, and, uh, and the willpower that is gained through a regimen of a yogic lifestyle that enables one to, uh, to you know, tough it out in those moments where uh, the, the uh, ego's tendencies want to depress you or create anxiety and you don't give in and you stay in the witness state, and even, even if it's physical pain. Uh, and to recognize it's a somatization of something that the soul doesn't want to know and you remain insistent on receiving that knowledge and if you can bear it uh, you'll be able to dissolve whatever knots are, uh, are, are stopping your, uh, your, your full realization of the self. Okay? Mm -hmm. I enjoy applied science <laughs> and uh, again I think this class is another example of uh, how we're not here to escape the world mm. but to be mm. a um, guides and teachers uh, for this new world and mm. bring hope mm -hmm. to the world. So as I'm trying to apply this to my own process within the dream by what right uh, this new ground that uh, gave me the, the, the um, uh, made the difference mm -hmm. for leaving the, the, mm -hmm. the oppressive world mm -hmm. was the Dharma, mm -hmm. was the teachings. I, 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 it wasn't like Buddha, you know, mm -hmm. where uh, I didn't find yeah. a, a teacher. But it, the soul, because mm -hmm. it wasn't something that I had premeditated on, mm -hmm. uh, recognized the new ground. Mm -hmm. And it was immediate, pretty mm -hmm. much. Mm -hmm. There was, uh, imagine, a ripening there uh, at that level. Mm -hmm. That new yeah. the ground had been found. Mm -hmm. So you always remind me, well, you know, we dreamed this, you co dreamed it, but. Mm -hmm. it, it appeared and there was an awakening mm -hmm. to that. And then this transcendental principle along with the Dharma came the meditation. Mm 
-hmm. So that find it within you through mm -hmm. the meditation. So the the awakening of the inner guru. Mm -hmm. So that this new ground just isn't outside of you. It's right. not again something that's external to you. Right. But uh, it's within you, and that was always you know, the the teaching that mm -hmm. from the start was yes. very clear. So this is not about choosing. For me, it wasn't. Uh, I could discern that it's not about replacing um, an outer um, government, mm -hmm. right? uh, a corrupt right for a, um, another outer right, mm -hmm. but now the mm -hmm. transcendental principle. Mm -hmm. Not perhaps as the loose saw it, mm -hmm. but right. as I uh, am applying it, and I realize it. Indeed. It has to be found within. Yes. The ground has to be found within. And then that empirical principle, as you were speaking, that the importance of the karma yoga and the seva, because then, yeah. from that transcendental spirit, uh, spirit <laughs> um, one mm -hmm. has to it gets tried out in the Shakti test. That's it. You right? got it. There's mm -hmm. the Shiva test, yes. and then there's the Shakti test. That's it. And then, you know, as you pass these uh, tests, and mm -hmm. uh, maybe there's glimpses now, Aturya, you know, which mm -hmm. is uh, um, to be at already uh, starting to head towards Sri Ramana. Or, mm -hmm. But uh, so I, I can see it, I don't know if, if I'm uh, perceiving it correctly or not, mm -hmm. but uh, this is, it feels very immediate, there's mm -hmm. an immediacy to the teaching mm -hmm. and how it has been working mm -hmm. in this particular process and uh, as, as my own uh, testing ground. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Beautifully stated. Thank you. Okay, we're over time. Has this been useful to people? Is it uh, okay to continue on this line? Okay, I'm uh, looking forward to uh, developing our revolution as far as we can take it uh, into those celestial realms that uh, 